Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and thanks for listening to us today. How are you, Kim? I'm doing well, Mark. Nice to talk wine with you again. Always nice talking wine. And today we brought back our special guest and friend, uh, Kathy Clancy of the Natural Wine School. Kathy, how are you today? I'm wonderful. So thanks for having me. Always great having you on and talking to our listeners about all things in the wine world. And today, all three of us are going to talk about three articles that we found and sent to each other. Two of them are from online, Eat This, Not That. One of them is from Forbes. And we're going to talk wine and health with Kathy. And Kathy, being the founder of the Natural Wine School, has a lot of good insight on health in the wine world. And we're going to pick our brain on these uh, three articles today, Kim. Yes, we are. It's always nice to have our guests on the show who can talk to our listeners about some things that we might not be as well-informed about. And we love having our our other experts in the field join us and be able to educate us a little bit as well as educate our listeners. So Kathy, what would you like to start with on those three articles? Um, So I'd like to start with one of the articles that talks about heart health and the fact that any alcohol that you drink may cause atrial AFib. So like a heart arrhythmia. And this article points out that they studied over 100,000 people starting in 1982 and tracked them to see whether alcohol impacted their heart health. So I think as somebody, maybe like your listeners, reading something like this, I find it kind of shocking. I was just reading the other day where wine and cheese was like the best thing in the world for me. What's your take on it? I was a little shocked by this article because we've sort of been not inundated, but you know, it's almost been like conventional wisdom that the greatest benefit that we could see to our health by drinking wine, and especially red wine, is heart health. That, you know, a a glass of red wine a day is good for you. And the whole thing with the French paradox that came out in the early 1990s saying, why do people who live in France who eat this crazy high fat diet and smoke a lot of cigarettes and drink a lot of red wine still live a healthier lifestyle, don't, don't die from heart disease issues as much as Americans do. And all signs are pointing towards the red wine. So to see something that is saying the exact opposite is like, what's what's going on? (laughs) Yeah. We talk about this all the time with our listeners that there's always one good article and then you see the one bad article. So we, what do we go by? Right. So in this article, it was really scary because they were saying, they start out by saying the danger of drinking one small glass of wine per day according to science. So first of all, it's kind of freaks you out say, wait a minute, some scientists now is saying there's got to be something to back this up. And then they put actual counts of drinks, like they said, 14 to 15 drinks per week can cut your life by one to two years. And then if you increase it to 25 drinks a week, you can cut your life by five years. And then you worked in what Kathy was saying, the study about the increase in irregular heart rhythms and 
how uh, the American, I, I, they didn't say the American Heart Association though, did they, Kathy? It was just- um, As I dug into it, um, it wasn't American Heart Association, it was a European heart journal. And that's what's being used to produce this article. So here's what I would tell you, because I look, as you know, I dug in a little deeper looking at the study and it's a study of, again, over 100,000 Europeans. And I mean, they definitely had a few control items, but I mean, this is not truly a controlled study. I mean, we have no idea. So these people drink, we know that. They self-reported what they drank. So who knows what they really drank? And it didn't talk about other factors that may contribute to this AFib condition. For example, I looked into caffeine, aging, dehydration, environmental issues, exercise. So from this article, I felt it was actually one of those kind of, um, I appreciate that they represented the study, but it's a shock and awe effect. You know, please read us, read more. And even within the article, they start backing out of the headline. So for me, I find this very confusing. I hope your readers will continue to question the source. So that's kind of what I took away from it. I don't think AFib is, you know, I don't, I don't find enough science behind this for their conclusion for the consumer at this point. So you're thinking it was more like a survey of the 100,000 people, they sent something out, say, do you drink? And have you had some sort of hot problem? And then they kind of put it all together and come up with this thing that on their own. I mean, it's, I mean, 100,000 people in a study is a survey is huge. Well, it looks like they've been tracking people for a long time for this yeah. study. Correct. And actually the pool started, if you look at the study, at 600,000. So I think it's a, I mean, it's a gallant effort to try to gather data. But what I would say is if you're looking for something to be the bad guy and you're studying alcohol, maybe alcohol is the main contributor, but it's certainly not clear. It could be other factors in people's lives. And I look at the life of this study, 1982 to I think it's 2015, and look at what we're eating, processed foods, even more in Europe. So for me, I think it's difficult to draw this conclusion and have the consumer walk away with confidence that, boy, maybe I should stop drinking everything now. I'm glad that you brought up the, the point of you don't necessarily know how this study was conducted as far as control groups, as far as looking at other factors, because that is a big point when you are doing those scientific studies. It's like, how do we actually know that this is a true cause or is it only a correlation if you are not attributing or not taking a look at those other factors that might be going on in people's lives too? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, but again, these studies may, they may need to happen um, because I think the other studies were looking for the good, right? In wine as well. So it's okay to kind of, you know, let's look for the balance in what's going on, but it just needs to be much more proven in, um, I would say, just better studies. Let me ask you both this. Were either of you concerned or should our listeners be concerned? The study defining one drink. Oh, it was such a tiny drink. Right. And by one drink, they're saying 12 ounces of beer 
or 120 milliliters of wine or 40 milliliters of spirits. So you're talking not even a shot of liquor, not even a glass of wine. Yeah, that's like, what, like three ounces of wine is a very, very small amount. Well, hey, Mark, what I would tell you is I always invoke the Dominic approach. That's my dad, the old Italian. And my great grandfather (laughs) used to make wine. And, you know, there's common sense in this. You know, my ancestors, they lived into their 90s. And I promise you, they had at least one glass of homemade wine, you know, a day. So I think uh, common sense needs to prevail over some of these news cycle articles. These are news cycles are articles to me. So we got to look at the source. So it's a scare. It's more to think to scare than to bring up the realization of what one drink should be. Is that kind of where you're going? I guess where I'm going is I think they factually represented the study. But this is a news cycle study that isn't reflecting truly on real other signs. And I looked into this particular group, which I think, you know, they're offering a service to the public, but there's hot and cold on wine. Just six months ago, they were saying, hey, here are the healthiest reds. You the, know? Same, yeah. the same site was the doing same that. Site. Yeah. yeah. So if you're really looking for you know, something to guide you, principles. These are important. You're going to have to read a lot. But like I said, you know, Dominic approach, there's some common sense and, and dig in if you need, if you really want more. Now, let me ask you guys this, which is, this is common for me. And, and if you don't want to go there, we won't. But every year I go for my physical <laughs> and, and we all love wine. And, and I'm sure our listeners hear this as well. My doctor says to me, do you drink? Now, asking me if I drink, I I always come (laughs) back to him and I say, I taste a lot of wine. (laughs) And he doesn't like that comment. But then I think every year, you know, I probably honestly don't say what I drink. You think that's common? I mean, you guys that way with your physicians? That's what I've heard, that a lot of people usually do not actually tell their doctor how much they drink. I might be known to fudge the numbers a little bit some years, but then there have been some times where I've told the truth and I've gotten a very stern speaking to from my doctor. Because yes, I do, for a female my size, drink a little more than is recommended, but mm, I don't like to lie. (laughs) I also don't like to be shamed, but I don't like to lie. Now, do you feel, Kathy, do you feel any worse from drinking or do you feel your health is is better? I would say when I'm in balance, I'm fine. And I also tend to drink and eat, as we talked about before, organic and natural wines. Having studied those, I know we metabolize that alcohol differently. So, I mean, I don't tend to get hangovers. And, and I really can say that. But boy, if I were to have like a hard liquor drink, I'm sick as a dog. Hmm. As far as my doctor, though, I mean, I try to be as honest as possible. Um, but it's pretty difficult in our profession to yeah. to not just like drink. But yeah. it's like it's like on the one hand, I know I've heard this from my doctor, like they think it's so cool. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, you need to watch your drinking. I'm like, yeah, but that's what makes my job so cool. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think um, everything in, you know, the Dominic approach, common sense, you know, everything. Everything in moderation. Moderation. Yeah. And, you know, eating fresh vegetables. I mean, those types of things add to your health. So there's balance. Everyone's different.
You're listening today to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Kim and Mark. You can find more information about Mark on his website, franklinliquors.com, and a little more about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. And today we are joined by Kathy from thenaturalwineschool.com. Check out her website for classes and information. Thank you for joining us today on our episode of The Wonderful World of Wine. We're talking about health and wine with our guest, Kathy Clancy, who is a regular contributor to our show. We were just speaking a little bit about wine and heart health, about articles and media, and about how much we should or could be drinking per day as a a moderate amount of alcohol to be drinking. And there was a recent article in Forbes magazine that was just about this topic, having a little bit more to do with recommendations on the European side of things. But it does sound like there are a number of, you know, health organizations, governing bodies that are trying to make people understand that maybe a little less wine is better for one's health. It's interesting that in the past, I've always understood the guideline to be for a man, two drinks a day, for a woman, one drink a day. Is that what you guys understand as well? That's my understanding. So this article is now saying they recommend one per day for for each, right? Mm -hmm. So is that, no, two, still two, two to one for men, right? So dropping us down one drink and the women still one drink per day. Right. And so one, right. So it's, it's, it's equal now. It's equal now. So, and then I didn't see a volume on that one drink. You know, there's always that big joke going around where they said one glass a day and it's this huge glass, right? <laughs> so uh, Kathy, what did you think about the new guideline? So what's, what happened was, so the, there's a dietary guidelines advisory committee and they were the ones pushing to have it reduce the guidelines through the health and human services from men, for men down to one drink. So it didn't happen. And I'll tell you why, because they were rebuked scientists. I mean, everyone just said, you're not showing us data that, that supports this. And I mean, they insinuated that there was possibly a political or some other reason, social reason for this. So they were definitely rebuked. And as I looked into this further, I found out that the WHO, the World Health Organization, actually has a, an extensive strategy around anti-alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that is being pushed out, different organizations. So it actually was rebuked, but I think the WHO and those that support them anyone activists, activists. So for example, um, MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, they're into this. They think this is great. So you've got potential lobbying efforts um, going on to reduce the amount of alcohol. I think we're going to see more of this. I think some of the studies, um, one of the other articles we're going to talk about, the cancer study, that may be be behind it, the WHO. Um, It's coming out of Europe again. I think it's very interesting that there is an a kind of a stealth prohibition, as they called it, mm-hmm. against alcohol. So um, do you think the liquor industry is not as strong now as the movement going the other way? I think the liquor industry is definitely stronger. and uh, Still and science, strong. Yes. And the science behind not binge drinking, right, is fine. But I do see where it, the there's going to be some additional studies, okay? There's going to be additional funding to specifically look 
and probably better studies for how alcohol causes more cancer and is a plague on society and how it's like tobacco. So I actually foresee some additional studies and funding for this, whether they get to prove their point that will uh, pair out in the studies and the quality of the studies. So there was a stat they gave in this guideline article saying that they found alcohol consumption has risen over the past 20 years. And I've seen studies go in the total opposite because they're saying the younger generation is a healthier generation and not drinking as much. So I thought that comment was a little interesting, that stat they put in there. I agree with you. And also, I was listening to a presentation by the wine industry, uh, Sonoma Valley Bank, who said they talked about even during COVID, people are binging. And they're saying, no, people, when COVID hit, they started buying. But it's not like alcohol, at least wine, hasn't exponentially increased. Mm -hmm. The other thing uh, pointed out in this article, I thought was to your point, is that the change in consumption does not necessarily correlate to a change in health. So if we're going to say, hey, guys, only one drink, where's the health evidence? And that wasn't presented in this particular case. So that is why it was rebuked. They're kind of like, you know, you know, show me the money. If you want to change it, you know, you've got to step up. I'm glad you mentioned the, the phrase binge drinking because I never saw a definition of what that is. And they defined it as five or more drinks. So one sitting, I'm assuming a binge drinking would mean you had more than five drinks. That was a stat I've never seen before. Kim, have you ever heard a number to binge drinking? Five sounds about right. But again, I think those numbers differ whether you're talking about males or females, because there's always seems like there's a lower number when you're associating Drinking with women, I think a binge drinking for women is considered like three or four drinks in a sitting, mm-hmm. um, if if memory serves. So, and yeah. Kathy, I want to bring it back to that. You also made a point that I want to touch on with you guys is the prohibition point. And w- when prohibition started or why it started, my understanding in history was always the people were getting out of control health-wise. It was just getting crazy. Not bad products were out there. So they said, we have to control this. So they have prohibition. Then after prohibition, they said, okay, we're going to allow people to drink again, but we need to control it. So they came up with the either states can control the distribution or you can do the three-tier system or, or whatever. But to me, what I see now is they're kind of going, we're kind of going away from that as a society. We're going to really open it up in exposing people more to alcohol is what I see. So I'm even seeing articles saying that the three-tier system should go away, which the whole idea of the three-tier system would protect you from getting bad products. So I, I was kind of curious what you thought about that point on on the prohibition and the whole idea of, of people seeing more of it. Well, historically, how prohibition started, it didn't just start, you know, in the 19-teens. It started way earlier than that. And a lot of it was tied up with religious movements, suffrage movements. Um, It was very female-led. So there was a lot of hand-in-hand of women who were fighting for the female vote, in addition to also fighting for prohibition of alcohol. I think starting from a lack of power when women had drunkard husbands and they couldn't 
you know, divorce them for any reason. So they just had to put up with their drunkard husbands. So the, the way that they were, you know, empowering themselves and empowering the other women around them was to take that stand against alcohol and calling alcohol the problem. And so, I'm glad, I mean, it, I, I'm mm-hmm. glad you just went there though, Kim, because that's exactly where I wanted to ask Kathy is that, isn't that what these groups are, are really, what we're seeing now, almost I, I, a similar? I do see that. And I see it as a social movement, just like Kim said. And, you know, I also, as Mark, you're probably seeing, you know, people starting to drink lower alcohol, they're looking for seltzers is we've got younger people who are, you know, our next generation drinkers who are minimalists. They don't trust the government, you know, um, they don't trust what they're being told. So they want transparency and they're not getting it. So I think there's frustration. So I believe part of the movement is they just, you know, unless you can show me otherwise, we want less of this. And that's the neo-prohibitionists. That's a whole, I I like that whole topic for another show, Kathy, as far Mm -hmm. as not trusting. But then when you buy in wine, people are really trusting what's on there and it's not not true. So that's the whole other, you gave me a whole uh, show idea we can go into (laughs) some other time. (laughs) You know, I just think that people need to be aware they're going to probably start seeing more of these. And it is, it looks like a social movement. And if they can prove that it's a health movement, then we all need to pay attention. But again, watch that news cycle. It's just there to grab your attention. Kathy, you had mentioned another article we want to talk about. You briefly touched on an article about cancer and linking alcohol to cancer cases. So do you want to tell our listeners a little about what you found out on that? So again, this was on that um, Eat This, Not That website, and they were basically reporting out about the linkage between cancer and drinking. But as astute listeners read the article, it's one really difficult to understand how the number they came up with, which is 75,000. And listen, alcohol can cause issues, no doubt, but they make it sound like it's worse, but there's no comparison. I have no reference to, is it any worse? And also they basically don't even, you, we don't have access to information that says, you know, are those 75,000 people obese? You know, again, more data points. And looking at that article, I even clicked on, I tried to read the study. You know, I have to pay 40 bucks to read the study. Oh, um, interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, so again, I, I guess for me, this is again, a news cycle and it made, there's truth in the number, but look at the source. And if you have questions, shoot, shoot me an email. I'm happy to research more, but you know, common sense. So they said 75,000 cancer cases in the U.S. linked to drinking alcohol. So I didn't see, did they survey people or they actually saw medical records where? So there's a cancer statistical database that they took these numbers from. And is this 75,000 in one year? I think it was. So sorry, I can't remember specifically. I think it was in one year. Mm -hmm. And like I said, so how does that compare to a previous year? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. So the other thing I found too, just again, these social movements is Europe also um, has a big social movement, an anti-cancer movement, where they want to see cancer issues prioritized and alcohol benefits minimized. So there are movements behind some of the information that we're seeing, again, valid or not, I don't know. But um, I just find it interesting that this particular site is just picking um, data points. 
Yeah, they said of the 75,000 cases, right. almost 5% of the reported cancer, it's 5% of reported all reported cancer, correct? So it's a small percent that's alcohol related that's cancer, correct? Um, I believe that is correct. And I mean, and that's only, always too much, right? Right. It, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but they actually gave a number to it. And then they said it was 3% of all fatalities due to cancer based on this. So they had numbers. And it was I thought it was interesting that they said the rate of cancer with alcohol was higher in Delaware and Nevada and lower in Utah. So we all know, I think Utah is liquor is pretty much a no-no, correct? Due it's to still available, but it is. Religion is is Mormon still against. I, I do believe there are prohibitions against drinking, um, but it's the state is not a dry state. So you can drink in a restaurant. Um, you can. I, I'm. I do believe there are, are liquor stores, um, but they have more regulations. And I remember <laughs> hearing something once that bartenders can't prepare your drink in front of you at a bar. They have to go like behind a curtain and make your drink so that you can't uh-huh. see it being made. I don't know how true that is. I just re- remember it being told that that story by somebody. They, they don't want the, the the show of, of making a cocktail might be a little too, uh, I don't know, <laughs> In, intriguing, entertaining. I don't know. That's so funny. It makes me want it more. I know, huh? <laughs> yeah. And they were saying the six cancers that they were looking at was breast, esophageal, liver, stomach, oral, and coral. Cor- I can't even say the word. Colorectal. I don't want to say the word. <laughs> <laughs> but those were the six cases. And the American Cancer Society in this article is quoted saying, just skip alcohol altogether. That was their kind of response to it, which I thought was kind of a you know very harsh thing right away, right? I mean, it's just don't do it. Well, those are, those are the cancers. This isn't a new thing that those cancers are singled out as these are the ones that if you are a drinker, you are most at risk of potentially coming down for with, um, I think that that list has been around for quite a while. I mean, it makes certain sense, you know, the liver one and the oral one, you know, alcohol can affect your cells in many different ways. So, I mean, there, there is a sort of logical sense, I feel like, uh, to that, but I can imagine that from the perspective of a cancer doctor, anything that would reduce your chance of getting cancer. And if being a regular drinker raises your chance of breast cancer from 3% to 5%, then that's statistically significant. And they're going to say, don't drink. Yeah. I, I guess I'm frustrated because it would have been nice to have seen how um, they actually decided it was an alcohol-related cancer mm-hmm. because of the increasing, for example, the increasing obesity issue in the United States, there's a lot more fatty liver disease. So if you have that and you're drinking, you know, compared to 10 years ago, does that increase the cancer in your risk? So I, I just, this to me, it's just, I'm so unsatisfied with the headline. Mm-hmm. And um, want more information. You know, it almost like- sounds like it's like clickbaity stuff for dry January for a lot of people. Like, let's put out a lot of these anti-alcohol articles because people might be thinking, hey, I'm not going to drink this month. And headlines like this sort of, I don't know, reaffirm for them that they're doing the right thing by having a dry January. 
Very possibly. I can tell you, I was on a hike. I like to hike on the weekends. And this young woman and I struck up a conversation and she had read this article. Wow. Yes. Small um, world. So, yes. So, I mean, I was one blown away, but, you know, people take this to heart. So, I mean, I almost had to say, well, let's look at it a different way. And here, look at it this way. So that shock and awe, I think kind of sticks, you know, the shock sticks. And that's though so I struggle with some of that. We're partial to the wine and the, the alcohol industry, but we'd like to, to let everyone know there, there are sides to it. And mm, for sure, I just, it's, to me, it's like, it's exposure. And, and I don't know, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, Kathy, about exposure. And, and when you were talking Kim, about this thing in Utah, maybe they do that because they don't want people watching to be exposed. And I just think as a society lately, there's too much exposure. And people, when I say that, I think people say, well, you're a retail store owner. You don't, you don't want more of it out there. But I always think of it from when I was a kid and walking into a store with my, with my mom, I never realized there was liquor and, and wine in a store because my mom never exposed me to it. She never brought me to that. But I think now in society, you can't go anywhere without seeing it. You know, they even had that thing years ago where you couldn't uh, advertise. There was a, it was an unwritten rule. You weren't going to advertise hard liquor on TV. And now we keep seeing vodka ads with a chugging full glasses of, of vodka on TV. So do you guys have any, am I just babbling on that or? No, no. I mean, it, it is interesting, the change in the media over the last, you know, 20, 25 years where you're right. It used to be that I think the only alcohol ad you would see was like, Bartles and James and and beer. And now it really is everything. I mean, we still don't see a whole lot of wine ads, but they're out there and they're not nearly as prevalent as those hard liquor ads. But um, yeah, it seems like booze ads are just as common as car ads these days. I think it's a great, great observation that society has changed. So I don't really know much you know, about the impact, but I think it's a great observation. And there was a good we were talking about these kind of negative health articles, but there was a few good, I just want to mention it briefly, that there was a few articles saying that, have you guys seen the one about wine is in the tannins maybe preventing COVID-19? Mm -hmm. did I did see, see that? that one. Yeah, that was like a, a quick little one, but an interesting research study that, uh, yeah, that tannic acid could be used as something that can sort of neutralize the coronavirus. Wine and tea. We, we have to mention <laughs> tea, but highlighting the wine. So, I mean, like another, just another example that you see these two articles going one way and then you see another one saying, hey, but have a glass of wine and don't get COVID maybe. So, <laughs> Right. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone, joined today by our friend Kathy Clancy from The Natural Wine School. You can find more information about Kathy at her website, thenaturalwineschool.com, and more information about our show on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.